This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Thank you to our newest sponsor, Keg Shoe Keg Tracking. Learn more about what they do at www.kegshoe.ca. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Dare to brew different with new and exciting hop varieties from Hopsteiner's industry-leading breeding program. Varieties like Sultana, Lotus, Bravo, Altus, and Contessa are now available in lupulin pellet form, packing more flavor and aroma per pellet. Discover more at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to... Brew Ninja a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to getbrewninja.com and using the code BREWNINJA21. You can get 98 to 100% of your extract yield um, versus the lab analysis. You want to remove all of the air and push the bladders back without actually starting to sparge quite yet. You can produce a batch of beer every two to two and a half hours. This week on the show, how to operate a mash filter. Hi, my name is Jason Playtech. I'm the brewing engineer at Ager Brewing Systems. Tell us about the first mash filter. This isn't exactly new technology, is it? No, uh, it's been around since the early 1900s. The technology hasn't changed a whole lot since. I think the biggest uh, the biggest change in technology is the 2001, which Mir came up with. Which oddly was not in 2001. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I... It's like 2001 A Space Odyssey kind of thing. I think yeah, it's like yeah. like a futuristic kind of number. Um, uh, but yeah, so they, they, they changed it so that uh, there's an inflatable membrane and a filter cloth as, as part of a hybrid plate. It makes things more compact and it, it operates better. And that happened in what, like the late, late uh, 80s? Yeah, eight, 1989, uh, Mira introduced the uh, 2001. In a presentation you gave to District Mid-South last fall, you said that the mash filter is superior technology, which I guess makes sense coming from someone who sells mash filters. Tell us about some of the differences uh, versus a traditional water tongue. The differences between a mash filter and a water tongue, um, well, I guess the the main difference is that uh, you're not relying on gravity for filtration. So you can, at a low pump pressure, you can push wort and sparge water through the filter cakes. 
uh, and that decreases the filtration time. What also helps with decreasing filtration time is the thickness or thinness of the filter bed. In a lotter ton, uh, obviously, you have many, many inches of uh, spent grains uh, that form your filter bed. In the mash filter, it's only about an inch and a half to two inches of a, of a filter cake. And then with the 2001 mash filter setup, there's a, uh, a membrane in the, in the filter plates that you can inflate air. And after you're done filtering your mash with the spent grains and some remaining first wort in the filter, you can actually push more of that through so you get increased efficiency there. And then you also homogenize the filter cake so that your sparge is much more efficient. And this leads to being able to get 100% of your extract, actually, to your kettle with an extract uh, value in your kettle of around 16 Play-Doh. And on a lotter ton, if you want to get that much, that efficient of an extraction, you're going to be down around 10 or 11 Play-Doh, 12 Play-Doh. I didn't really uh, mention the use of fine milling. So that actually is, you know, pre the filtration step, but um, you get faster conversion in your mash ton. And since you're pumping through the mash filter, you can do uh, higher gravity first words or, you know, lower spar- uh, strike water ratios. Um, so that's a little bit different than the lauder ton process as well. But with the mash filter, you do not need to Vorloff. The wort clarity is much better than a lotter ton wort clarity in the end, even without a Vorloff, because of the use of fine milling. The filter cloths are not actually what's filtering the wort. The spent grains are what's filtering the wort. And since you're using a hammer mill, the, the porosity is much finer than with a lotter ton. And, and so you filter out uh, a lot more of the um, particulate that you would, that you would be able to measure in an IMOF cone uh, in the kettle. All right. Talk, talk about mashing with a mash filter. Where and how is mashing carried out and what's different? Mashing is carried out in um, a separate mash vessel. So uh, sometimes lauder, lauder ton users um, just mash in into the lauder ton and they do their rest and then go straight to Vorloff. Uh, with a mash filter, you need a separate mash mixer. Um, it's basically just a vessel uh, with a grist hydrator and um, an agitator and a heating source. So either steam jackets or um, or steam injection is also a, a way to do it. Basically, you you know you you mill your grist with a, a hammer mill for for mash filtration, hydrate it, and uh, mash in. Um, the strike water ratios are typically uh, much lower for mash filtration, so somewhere between 2.0 liters per kilogram uh, and 2.5 liters per kilogram. With a lot of time, you're usually around 3 liters per kilogram and higher. Is it safe to assume that the uh, uh, agitator is, uh, is a requirement there? I, I know you sent me a, a 1992 article authored by a Guinness brewer who wrote about his practical experience converting to a Mira 2000 mash filter. And he indicated that some of the bigger challenges were related to the mash conversion vessel, uh, preventing the grist from clumping and designing the levels of the steam jackets. Is there anything you want to say about any of that? Uh, yeah. Um 
hydration hydration of of the fine grist is is, is very challenging because uh, um, it's i mean if you can imagine uh just trying to mix flour and water hot water together as it's as it's dropping into a vessel uh preventing it from clumping is very difficult and that's something that uh that article ha- was uh written uh, back in the early 1990s there's been a lot of modifications to the grist hydrator since then but even still today it's it's not perfectly engineered yet i don't think I have to imagine it, it's got to be more challenging to convey the more flour-like grist needed for a mash filter. Um, talk about that. Actually, it's not. On our systems, we use uh, a flex auger. Some lauder ton brewers shy away from the, the flex auger if they can to maintain the uh, husk for laudering. Um, with the hammer milled grist, you don't have to worry about that. And actually, um, the hammer milled grist flows just fine with a flex auger. And if you're using a chain disc, um, they have uh, sweeper pucks, which can sweep the fine particulate uh, to the to the mash ton, no problem. Another watch out mentioned by Ian J.R. Jones at Guinness was that whole kernels cause considerable heartache if they pass through the filter. Why is that? Each each plate in the mash filter has an inlet opening. Uh, it's like um, about a one one inch diameter inlet. And if you get whole kernels plugging up, let's say a couple of the plates, uh, you're fi- you're effectively making your your filter much smaller. And so basically, you set up your brew based on how many you know based on how many plates you have in your filter. That that allows you to figure out how much grain you can use, um, and if you if you lose filter plates, then uh, at some point your filter is going to be over overfilled, and at that point your filtration becomes an issue. <laughs> Walk us through a typical mash filter cycle from start to finish. Sure. Uh, the so the start of a mash filtration begins at at the end of a. Uh, at the end of the mashing process in the in the mash tun, there's a final step in the mash tun where you ramp up to uh, enzyme deactivation temperature, um, and it's actually around 80 C, which is pretty hot. This also uh, reduces the viscosity of the of the wort, and so that aids in filtration speed. The first step of actual mash filtration is the filling of the filter. Uh, this is done at a constant pump speed, and basically you want to fill each chamber, each each plate evenly. Uh, so it's done at a slightly low pump speed. Um, you want it. You want the filter to fill up in about three to five minutes, uh, based depending on how many how many chambers you have. The filling step is is done once there's actually wort um, coming out of the other end of the filter and and heading towards the kettle. So that uh, that filtration step begins immediately as soon as the filter is full. Essentially, it's not like in a water tunnel where you where you 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 pump it over and then you have a a, a rest right, period. Right, right. There's no vorlof. There's no settling. There's no rest period. Yeah. There's no vorlof. So you're immediately pumping wort over to the kettle. Uh, within three to five minutes, you you have wort going to the kettle. Okay. Yep. And so the second step is filtration. Uh. This step progresses as your mash tun is emptying. So 
um, one one of the things that people usually have a hard time visualizing is when they think the filter is full that the mash tun is empty. Um, so all your mash goes into the filter. That's that's not the case. Um, it's it's a progressive process. Um, so as your mash tun empties, you're filtering you're filtering wort over to the kettle. And as you're doing that, you know spent grains are building up on the filter cloth uh, in the mash filter. Um, and the wort is flowing over to the kettle. This step is done at a dynamic inlet pressure. So basically, uh, once as the as the mash tun is emptying, you're increasing the the pump the pressure on the inlet by using increasing the pump speed. This is required to keep keep your flow rate up because as the using Darcy's law. As the filter cake gets thicker, uh, i.e., the spent grains are building on the cloth, the flow rate is is dropping. So you increase the pressure to overcome that that drop in in flow rate. How long does it take before the mash mixer actually becomes is actually empty all the way, or is it? Um, are you using that same pump throughout the duration of the filtration, or um, is it at some point? Um, at some point, is that vessel empty and you're creating pressure in a different way uh yes uh the answer to that question is yes <laughs> the mash ton usually is empty after about 20 to 25 minutes uh at which point there's nothing left to pump so you have to switch to the next step which is uh pre-compression and this step is to uh do two things to recover more of the first wort and to homogenize the filter cakes uh, for sparging. So in this step, instead of using a pump, there's air, uh, compressed air is introduced into the, the bladders uh, that are part of the fil- uh, mash filter plates. And this is done at about roughly the same pressure uh, that, you, that you finish your, your pumping at um, when you're emptying the mash ton. Uh, about seven psi, so it's it's not very high pressure that we're talking about here. Coming up, when we um, try to f- flavor match people's recipes when they when they start using mash filters, we usually drop the the hop the bittering hops down by at least ten percent. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. 
Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. Support for this episode comes from BSG. Did you know that BSG sources hops directly from growers and processes them in their FSSC certified facility in the Yakima Valley? From Azaka to Zappa, BSG's hops are pelletized for optimal dispersion in the boiler or FV and packaged in nitrogen flush bags to preserve all those tasty aromatics. To learn more about how your hops go from farmer to fermenter, get in touch with BSG at Let's Talk Hops at BSGCraft.com. Are you looking to improve yield, quality, and sustainability in your cellar? Alpha Laval has over 60 years of brewing experience, offering centrifuges, dealkalization systems, yeast plants, and complete cold block cellar projects. Designed for the most gentle and efficient treatment of your beer, cider, hard seltzer, or other beverages. Let the leaders in brewing innovation help you meet your greatest production and sustainability goals. Visit alphalaval.us slash MBAA to learn more. Thank you to Brewing with Enzymes by Novazymes. For commercial brewers, enzymes can ease filtration, eliminate diacetyl rest, meet attenuation targets, and optimize your raw materials to save on labor. If you're curious to learn more, head over to brewingwithenzymes.com and get 50% off with your first order using discount code MBAA. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Rocky Mountain meets March 9th at River North Brewing Company in Denver. The Illinois Craft Brewers Guild and District Northern Illinois Joint Conference is March 14th and 15th in Bloomington. Master Brewers is hiring. Check the show notes for a link to the job description for course director for the Brewery Maintenance Systems course. Applications will be accepted until March 20th. District Philly meets at the Iron Hill Tap House in Exton March 25th. The 2022 Brewing Summit, that's the combined meeting with Master Brewers and ASBC, is August 14th through the 16th in Rhode Island. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Let's hear about sparging and how it's different from what most brewers might be used to. The sparging step steps actually in the mash filtration. Um, the first part is getting, you know, pushing the bladders back. So right now you have at the beginning of sparging, you have uh, bladders that are filled with compressed air. Uh, you need to push that air out, um, but you don't. You want to do it in a controlled manner, so so we control the uh, the pressure and flow rate of the sparge water into the plate uh, into the filter, and and we control the compressed air that's coming out of the the membranes by using a, uh, a control valve. And so what you want to do is. You want to remove all of the air and push the bladders back without actually starting to sparge quite yet. Uh, this this builds up your sparge water behind the filter cake and creates uh, what's called a plug flow. So instead of sparge water mixing with the first wort like like it kind of does in a in a lauder ton, um, you're actually pushing the rest of the first wort out uh, in a plug fashion. 
and and this this is where this is where the um the efficiency of sparging occurs so so once once all the uh, air is removed from the bladders and and we be begin the plugged flow um we can again increase the pressure uh of the inlet um for the sparge water and and this increases the uh the flow rate again because of darcy's law so you have that higher delta p uh so your sparging happens not only more efficiently but also faster time you know, efficient with time so still no air pressure at this point it's all right. still just the uh, the water uh, creating all the pressure. right so now this is another pumping step um basically your your sparge water is either coming from a sparge tank or your hot liquor tank uh traditionally and and again this is a, a pump pump controlled process and how does that pressure differ from the seven psi uh that we were talking about earlier i assume it's a bit higher now yeah slightly i mean we get up to about 10 10 psi uh maybe maybe all the way up to up to 14 I assume uh, you've got sort of a prescribed amount of water, sparge water that you're going to be um, using in this scenario. Is it is that kind of the driver of this process? Is it sort of you know done by the the volume of the water, or or to what extent are you monitoring the um, you know the last runnings and 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 deciding when to um, terminate the sparge based on that? Uh, yeah, so that that's a that's a good question. It, it is. Um, you do want to cut the sparge roughly at the same the same time as you would with a lauder ton, uh, right around two Plato or one point five Plato, um, and so so you will be monitoring your your gravity uh, as it as the sparge progresses. Um, the sparge, you know, the the gravity drops uh much faster when you're when you're working with a mass shelter. So you actually when you're first when you're first uh commissioning uh you know if you're a new brew or something like that uh you definitely want to be measuring measuring gravities uh like every five minutes or so because um, the, the gravity drops off so rapidly all right so uh we finished our sparge what happens next uh after sparge there is a another compression compression step and this compression step is to uh not only get the remaining sparge water uh to the you know remaining extract to the kettle uh but but also to dry your filter cakes out when you're done with sparge um you want you want your filter cakes to be as dry as possible uh so you're not um wasting water and the final compression is the step uh to help you do that so when you uh when you grain out you're actually at about 70% moisture content with it which is uh much drier than with a lauder ton Okay, you're basically done. It's cleanup time now, right? And now it's cleanup time. Uh, so cleaning out a mash filter is very easy. Uh, it only takes one one person to do it. Uh, all you have to do once you know once the compressed air has been drained out of the bladders, of course, uh, all you have to do is open the filter up. Uh, this is done. Uh, the, maybe a maybe it hasn't been mentioned yet but um the you know the filter is closed held closed with a hydraulic press um and so when you're done with the filter and you want to open it up you just re retract the hydraulic arm and then you can separate all the plates and as you separate the plates um the spent grains literally just fall off the filter cloth 
And so you either have uh, some sort of bin underneath it, or um, uh, if you want to get fancy, you can get a, a trough system with a, with a spend grain expeller to a silo. Talk about mash filter CIP. How does that work and how often is it done? Um, CIP is done uh, depending on how frequently you're brewing. The more you brew, the, the actually the less you have to clean it. It's kind of, you know, sounds counterintuitive. But as long as you, you keep the, the wort flowing uh, and keep the filter hot and, and you know, don't let it um, don't let it cool down and you can keep brewing uh, until you see a, a significant, you know, measurable slowdown in filtration. At that point, you do want to run a CIP. This usually happens um, if you're brewing cons- constantly after, after about a week, you can keep that sucker going. Um, and you know that that's maybe for for like a lighter beer with just a like a pale malt uh, malt bill. But uh, if you have to perform a CIP, um, there's nothing too special about it. Uh, caustic, you know, uh, you just pump caustic through the filter at uh, about a four percent, four or five percent uh, sodium hydroxide solution uh, at about 160 Fahrenheit and recirc for a couple hours um and then uh you probably want to try to retain that volume because it's it the they to fill the the filter and clean it properly it, it requires quite a bit of a volume of cleaning solution um and then after you're done cleaning with caustic you can rinse it with uh, hot liquor or or even um just a light uh, phosphoric acid to to neutralize the caustic and then rinse. Okay, so it sounds like CIP system is uh, is highly encouraged uh, if you're going to put in a mash filter. Absolutely. Okay, let's get into some of the benefits. I guess the most obvious is higher efficiency. Talk about that. Yeah. Um, so when we first started our company, we thought that's what craft brewers would be looking for: is the higher efficiency versus lower ton. And while it is obviously um, a huge benefit, we found that um, craft brewers are actually more excited about the the flexibility with the the different kinds of grains that you can use. But as far as uh, extract yields, um, you can get 98 to 100 percent of your extract yield um, versus the lab analysis, uh, and that's because the even the fine grind analysis. Um, for those for the malts um the congress mashes is not quite as fine as the hammer milled grist and so you can actually you can actually recover uh 100% and even maybe sometimes more than 100% of the uh extract with the cleaner wort that i mentioned earlier you actually don't um precipitate out uh your isomerized alpha acids as much as you would with slaughtered slaughter ton wort um, so you can actually don't need to use as many hops for bitterness, uh, so you can reduce reduce your hop usage, which is nice. How much of how much of an impact is there? I mean, are we talking a, a pretty small difference, or are you actually like? No, it's measurable. You know? um, it, when we try to flavor match uh, people's recipes when they when they start using mash filters, we usually drop the the hop the bittering hops down by at least ten percent to start wow yeah. okay mm-hmm. 
Yep. And then um, as far as other benefits, uh, water savings, which is becoming more and more critical uh, for sure. Um, uh, there's less um, less water used uh, to clean out the filter as 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 you would with a lauder ton. Because um, between batches, you're literally just opening the filter and the cakes drop off and you close the filter back up. You, you don't need to rinse it like you would with a lauder ton. The another thing is is high gravity beer. I mean, we didn't really talk about high gravity too much. Um, when you're brewing with uh, with a mash filter, since your strike water ratio is so low, uh, your first work gravity can be anywhere from twenty four to twenty six play doh. And so, if you're doing really big beers, um, you you know you collect all your first wort. Uh, like you would with a lauder ton, um, but with the with the mash filter, you have that compression step. So you're actually getting actually getting like seventy five to eighty percent of of your extract in, in just your first wort uh, with the compression step. Um, so you can do really high gravity beers much 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 more efficiently than you can on a lauder ton. I remember being surprised the first time I heard someone argue that mash filters offered greater flexibility than lauder tons. Tell us more about that. Well, the batch size flexibility is, I mean, certainly greater than than with a lauder ton because you can reduce the size of your filter uh, down from, say, like a, if you have a 45 chamber mash filter and you want to produce, you know, pending the rest of the equipment um, and you want to produce something that's one tenth the size, you just you know, make your mash filter a 4.5 chamber, you know, five chamber mash filter by moving the back plate up in the stack. Uh, so, uh, you know, um, so you can make much smaller batches, you know, even a lauder ton has a maximum volume. So as long as you uh, buy your mash filter with the right amount of chambers, you can have as big of a beer or as little of a beer as you want. And and also you can use uh, many many different grains and adjuncts that you couldn't get away with uh, on a lauder ton. Like what? Well, raw raw grains, raw barley, um, definitely like some of the uh, gluten free grains that are out there: um, malted millet, malted buckwheat, sorghum, that kind of thing. Hundred um, percent wheat. Uh, malted wheat, raw, and lots of raw wheat in there. Um, you can do high rye recipes, high oat recipes. You know, a lot of the New England style IPA guys are throwing a bunch of oats in their malt bills these days. And uh, with lauder tons, it's a little bit trickier. Um, with a mash filter, that stuff flies right through. The greater throughput or productivity is often cited as another selling point. Explain that. Um, well, the, the whole filtration step, so from the time you start emptying your mash ton uh, until your, your kettle full, basically, up to a boil, it takes 60 to 90 minutes. Um, so, there, like, like I said earlier, there's no settling time, there's no pour loft time, um, and, and the sparge is, is typically much faster than on a lauder ton. Depending on the rest of your equipment, how, how long you're your mash rest is and everything um you can you can produce a batch of beer every two to two and a half hours and on some setups with a a wort receiver you can you can do um 
in 24 hours, you can do 10 to 12 batches of beer. You've also got a warning about imposters. <laughs> Explain that. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you know, there's the the filter press. Uh, the filter press has been around for an industry for a long, long, long time, um, and it can be used to run mash through it. Uh, you know, just a generic filter press can be used to run mash through it, but this this press has not been specifically designed all the way through uh, for brewing purposes. A real mash filter should not have uh, cloth cloth bags or or wrapped around the plates. Uh, the a real mash filter has integrated filter cloths. You have to be using hammer milled grist. If you're not using hammer milled grist, you're you're probably not brewing on a real mash filter. If you have to Vorloff, there's there's something wrong. If you're just pumping the mash through without uh, without controlling the inlet pressure, uh, you're not you're probably not using a real mash filter. You know there should be no leaking. The mash filter does not leak. Uh, no wort drips out of it. Everything is is contained. Uh, really, really with a, a real mash filter, you should have you know automation uh, and full automation, not just not just push button automation run by a PLC and not, not uh, an operator pressing buttons to make things happen. That was Jason Playtech here on the master brewers podcast. If you'd like to learn more about mash filters, check the show notes for some links, including a 2020 WBC poster from OSU that compares work quality from mash filter to lauder tongue. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Stop and get it. Stop and get it.